Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. How are you doing? I am having fun. (laughs) I hope you are too, because man, these have been hard times. I'm having fun, and the reason I'm having fun is because I am playing in my form of play, which is having conversations. I am doing interviews and conversations with the show again. So I'm just thrilled. This is my way of playing. And I get to share with you a really special person who I've been able to have all these offline conversations with over the last 12 years. And I thought, oh, I need to share her with all of you. So a good friend of mine, Beth Forker, she's a social activist, a mom, and she's making changes in so many areas of her life. She's agreed to come on and talk with you all about speaking truth to power. And Beth has what she believes is the most important job, which is being a mom to her four children. And they're not really children anymore because her oldest son is 27, but they're still her children. They're her pod, they're her family. And her youngest child is 14. So she's still going through, you know, having children living at home. One of the things that she'd be talking about in the show is her son, Patrick, who was born with Down syndrome and also had some other health issues that she had to advocate for and spend time with about 10 years ago. So maybe it's a little bit longer than that. In addition to all of this, and because of you know her experience with her son, Patrick, Beth is the founder and director of the National Catholic Board on full inclusion. And this is a nonprofit that works with families and schools to fully include students with intellectual disabilities in Catholic schools. She's continually working on the continuum of inclusion and with communities. She also works at UC Davis in the School of Education, where she gets to work with mentoring beginning teachers and help them. So the ripple effect between her personal and professional lives and her activism that she does is quite profound. And I am thrilled to bring and share with you my friend, Beth Forker. All right. Hello. I have my friend Beth Forker here, and we are here to talk about speaking truth to power. And we're going to talk about recently what happened with AOC speaking on the floor in Congress. And I want to talk about that and our own experiences of that. And then how we speak truth to power. And one of the things that I think is really, really important is, you know, I often get called a brave woman, but there's also a cost, you know, on the other side of it. And I really want to share that as well, because we don't want to share all the glory moments because otherwise it becomes a highlight reel. And to be able to talk about those moments that aren't so glorious or, that we must go through those dark times. So we'll talk about that as well. So I want to welcome my friend, Beth Forker, who's here to join me today. Hi, Corinne. This is awesome. (laughs) This is awesome. Who better to talk about (laughs) speaking truth to power with than with you, my friend? Oh, that's awfully (laughs) nice of you. (laughs) But you do. I mean, you really do speak truth to power. You're brave. You post a lot on social media. You lead, you advocate. So you have been on this path for you know, a long time, well, for as long as I've known you, and you really use your voice. And I imagine it takes a lot of courage. You know, what's funny is I don't think of it as courageous. And I think it's because when I began, it was around my children and my child with a disability, so in particular for him. And so when you're doing things for your children, it doesn't feel brave, it just feels necessary because no one else is going to do it. So you have to do it. And then with all that's transpired in these recent years, it just has become necessary for me to be doing that in all parts of my life, not just with my son, Patrick. And that's something that's interesting, right? Because what started out really close to home with your son and with his disability and his health and being an advocate for him, it's almost like you cultivated those muscles, right? Like, mm-hmm. you and I, I've said this to you many times, like, you're so courageous. And you always say, but I'm not courageous. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but you've, <laughs> you've cultivated it where you've used your voice. And now in this realm of, you know, becoming really involved in the political process over the years because of, you know, what you see and how this 
goes against what you believe and what you stand for. And so you've used your voice. You've become an active participant in trying to create change. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's true. This is a time, you know, to everything, there is a season and this is the season for full participation. Every, but no one can be on the sidelines right now. (laughs) Truthfully. It's very true. So let's talk about AOC because actually you're the one I'd been offline most of the day and working and I come on and I saw you post about AOC speaking on the house floor. So this is going to go out, you know, a week from now. So for those that are going to listen, you're going to have heard this. This is a week older if you listen down in the future, right? We're recording this on July 24th and it's going to drop on July 31st. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about why did you decide to post AOC's speech? I posted her speech because, you know, she'd been called a fucking bitch by this other man who she didn't even know. She had never spoken to him. So that's what was super crazy. So here she not, you know, the first thing he calls her is disgusting. Imagine a, a person who you've worked, you know, in the same circles with, but never had a conversation with or really even were introduced to just looking at you and calling you disgusting. And then he called her out of her mind. And then he said, you're dangerous, which I personally love. (laughs) I mean, if someone would have called me dangerous, I'd be like, wow, thanks so much to her. I mean, she was on her way to vote. And so it just kind of threw her off her game. Then she went in and voted. And when she came out, he was still there with a reporter. And then he called her to the side, you know, not directly to her face, of course, um, called her a fucking bitch. And so now what are you going to do with that? She's 30 years old. He's 65. She's obviously new. She's a lightning rod for things. She doesn't, I mean, as an outside observer, it doesn't seem like something she'd want to jump on. Right. But then he went to the house floor because I think this all became a problem because there was a witness who was a reporter who revealed it. So then it was like, okay, this congressman, and let's all remember his name, Ted Yoho. Ted Yoho had to kind of own it because this reporter had reported it. And so he goes on and makes this whole big production of a non-apology, which we've all received which is, you know, well, well, if that hurts your feelings, you know, kind of, I'm sorry for you, right? Not taking any ownership of his behavior. And then he goes on to use, you know, his relationship with his wife and his daughters and all of these things as, you know, some sort of pretext to why it's okay to speak this way to someone in a work setting. And it was that, that she was like, okay, I guess now I have to do something because this is not cool at all. And I just felt like in addition to calling him out directly, she was dismantling misogyny within a system that is so misogynistic, it's painful for women. And so it was so powerful to watch her respectfully, with dignity, professionally, just dismantle misogyny. And I I think it is a masterclass in leadership and in responding to adversity so much so that now we're still talking about Ted Yoho's behavior and other people's poor behavior additionally. Yes. What a way to go out of your term of being known for this on your way out because none of us really probably would have known who he was until this happened. Which brings me to a really important idea, which is, and I was thinking about this last night, like if this had been my husband, if he had been called out in this way, I would be talking to him about how do you repair this now? You have a hundred days left of your term and then you're done. What could you do in 100 days to repair the harm that you clearly have caused? And I think my suggestion to him, and I called his office today to offer this suggestion, is he should work to learn about key women's issues, that policy issues that prevent women from living their full lives and harm our whole society because, and then look carefully at his party and what his party has done on these policy issues. My one issue that I gave was paid family leave. 
he should really go in depth for the next hundred days and learn about paid family leave, why we don't have it in the United States, and how that harms us as a society. Wow. So there you go. You had you saw the problem and then you offered a solution of what can you do to help repair. And I love that because instead of labeling him as a bad person or a bad man, it's, hey, how can you have redemption? How can you rise back up? You've made a mistake. And maybe this is part of the system that you were a part of and it was okay to do. So AOC wound up addressing this issue because of him going to the floor of Congress and making excuses, which is actually, I've even just been recently in a situation like this where I addressed somebody who did something and the reply back was justification and excuses on their behavior. Mm, mm, Yes. (laughs) And it was so interesting because I'm like, oh, they just really don't get it. And then that appreciation part was really just hollow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 When you grow up in these systems of privilege and you Mm -hmm. don't have to be accountable and you have a belief that somebody younger than you, somebody maybe of a lesser race or a lesser gender, that mm-hmm. it's okay to treat somebody like this. This is that powering over yeah. that we have seen and definitely seen so much more in 2020. Yeah. Yes. And I feel like she held her own and said, my parents taught me that I cannot accept abuse from men. This is why I'm speaking, you know, and she really did it as a reply to, you know, if I let this pass, I'm allowing this behavior to continue for future women and for young girls that are currently looking up to me. And I'm not going to let that pass. What the one quote that I really loved that she said was, I will not allow people to change and create hatred in our hearts. So this idea similar to John Lewis, you know, you can be wronged, but I'm not going to become bitter. I'm not going to become hateful towards you. I'm not going to demonize you or use dehumanizing language toward you. That is not what I'm going to do. Instead, I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to point out to you what has been done. And I'm going to be grateful for the clarity, which she said, you know, that again was so powerful. I want to end with my gratitude towards Ted Yoho. Mm-hmm. What she does so well is she identifies very clearly what the hate is, right? I mean, yeah. I think about all the women and girls who can listen to her speak and very clearly say, using those words, talking to me in this way is not okay. It is abuse. Exactly. And yep. how many women you know, would actually have thought that that was abuse or that was just acceptable because, well, this is what occurs in day-to-day life. So she clearly has defined a boundary that has had a prejudice against women. It's dehumanizing language. And she clearly stated, this is not okay. But why I think it's important to use her speech to talk about the speaking out for truth, because it's very clearly defined name calling is not okay. Attacking another person is not okay. That is abuse. You may not lay a hand on me, but that is abuse. Yep. She responded in such a way. And it was so clear that I do feel like many, many women were like, whoa, like, Mm -hmm. or many men, you know what, you know, really kind of in a shocking way. And that's why it was so powerful. I think for many women, we all are like, yes, this is not cool. But And I want to just say to these men, you know, you would never say that to Roger Williams, like you, Ted Yoho, standing next to your pal, Roger Williams, you'd never call him, you know, fucking dick. You wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But it's somehow it's acceptable to do that to a woman because in your mind, they are less or inferior or not as worthy. That is the point she made. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think about, you know, I'm 48 years old. So I think about growing up without saying of sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Right. 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 So it was that idea of here's violence and this is what's not okay. And that's the difference between say my generation and my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation, but names will never hurt me. And where AOC is saying names are damaging and it's not okay. Yep. It's not okay to dehumanize another human being. 
Well, and she also made the point, and I loved it, where she said, you know, this wasn't deeply hurtful or piercing to me because I've worked a working class job. Mm -hmm. I've been called this before. I wasn't expecting it here in Congress, but I've heard those terms. I know I've had to kick people out of bars and been called that. And I feel like that also helped her you know, we have, it's a tension, right? We have to be clear. Abusive language is harmful, but also we can't fall apart You know, mm-hmm. when these things happen to us. If we're called an abusive name, we do have to pause and be like, that's not cool with me, but I have some power. And that's what she showed us. You do, every person has power. No one is powerless. And what she did was she put a lens on people's eyes to say he used his wife and his daughters as a shield and to say that he understands he doesn't invalidate women because he has a wife and daughters. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like that. I have a black friend, so I can't be racist thing. Same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then her point's so excellent. Like, you know, what you did to me, what if somebody else did to your daughter or to your wife? And my dad, like I wrote this down, she said, my dad did not raise me to accept abuse from men. That's right. That's right. And I thought what she said, by using this language, you are giving permission to other men to use this to your wife or to your daughter, or, and this was when I was really happy, she said, or to women in your community. You know, Ted Yoho is representing half his population are women. And the way he represented himself was diminishing to every single female constituent within his district. And that was the point she was making. By dehumanizing me, you're dehumanizing every woman in your district. And it goes back to like, and I'm going to switch it for a second because you're an educator, right? And we've talked a lot about you and I personally have talked a lot about growth mindset and fixed mindset. And so the work of Carol Dweck has always been, you know, praise the effort, not the person. Right. It's not that you're a good girl of, oh, I see you worked really hard at that. Or wow, look at you overcome that. So praise the effort. And what Representative Yoho did is he attacked her personally. You're disgusting. Right. He tried to power over her by making her feel small, Mm -hmm. you know, to, you know, stand taller for himself. And then even that side comment of fucking bitch to the side is such a small move. It's a way to power over, but he's not brave enough to say it directly to her face. Exactly. Oh, no. That's why I really do want him to work to repair it because he looks so weak and so terrible in this moment. And we all have our weak, terrible moments. She said, we all have our weak, terrible moments, but a decent man uses that moment to make an apology, to repair it, you know, not score political points, which is, he was literally the definition of a bro. I mean, he went into the bro house and he went, oh, you guys, you know, this bitch is over here complaining. So, hey, here's my apology. Sorry, you're upset. I got a wife and a daughter and I I will not apologize for my faith or for my passion. You know, I mean, he's literally the biggest bro ever. And every woman was just like, oh, geez, come on, guy. That's why I love her. She just was so systematic, so calm, so targeted, so explicit in her dismantling of his way he handled himself. It was great. (laughs) It's so powerful. I want to watch it on repeat. (laughs) It is so powerful. And it must take a lot, right? Because she was so clear and she was so concise. Like, and she said, you know, making excuses for his behavior and accepting it as legitimate and accepting it as an apology and accepting silence as a form of acceptance. That's why she spoke because she couldn't say that what happened was okay. That's right. That's right. And, and look at Roger Williams. Let's never forget him. You know, this is hope that brings us back to that whole idea of we can't stand on the sidelines. This is the season of full participation. You know, here's Roger Williams placed in a moment where he can either step up and be like, yeah, that's not cool, Ted. Come on. He could have reined Ted in. He could have just denounced it. He could have made a personal statement after the fact, all sorts of things. 
he chose silence. And then when he was questioned about it, he said, oh, I, I was too busy working for my constituents to know. So again, making his own excuse. And each time you do that, you are literally placing another Lego in the mountain of misogyny. You know, every time you do that as a man with power, you are accepting the dehumanization of women. It's truly disgraceful. Yes. To say that you're too busy. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah. It was his easy excuse. And again, no one, well, she did definitely call him out in her her thing, but he hasn't really been held to task because he's again, and that was why I loved it so much. She said, you know, this isn't just a moment. This is cultural. This is, you know, the whole system here at the Capitol in Congress. This is a cultural thing that I'm contending with. And let's also make the point that she was able to speak so strongly because this is the first house that has the most women ever. So this group of congressional reps has the most women ever. So she had a lot of women beside her, you know, supporting her in her speech too, which really matters. If she had been the only women in Congress, she would not have had nearly as much acceptance for her speech. Well, one of the things, and going back to the courage, right? Like I think about, I stand on the shoulders of those who came before me. Yes. And it does take courage to, especially to speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. So to know that you have other people who will stand beside you, who will walk down the path with you has, you know, I know in my own life has been so helpful because it can feel so lonely mm-hmm. to speak truth to power. Absolutely. You know, we give people courage by just walking along the path. Sometimes we cannot prevent the adversity that they're facing or their particular difficulty, but we can acknowledge it and walk beside them and stand with them. And that gives them the courage. And it's so interesting, right? Because neither you or I know her and we followed her and on her Instagram I think it was her stories last night, which social media can be such a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. You know, she had posted people who had stood with her on social media and Mm -hmm. did shout outs. Right. But as I'm sure as many of those people who were standing up supporting her, I saw people that were trying to not in her feed necessarily, but people who were also trying to take her down and And, uh, make excuses. I was mystified at women making mm -hmm. excuses for Ted Yoho. You know, oh, he didn't really call her that. It was to the side. She's Mm -hmm. making such a big deal about it. Again, not realizing that we are in a system of misogyny, not recognizing their part. They have accepted oppression and they don't see it. Can you explain about this system? Because it's something that I see so much more and more clearly as I get older, and especially in the year of 2020. Right. But I do think it's this invisible structure that if I want to make the most generous assumption, because I was astounded with some of the comments that women were making, right? right? But I I don't think they want to see these systems and they're invisible. They're not, it's not like a building that's right out in front of us. And we can say, yes, this building is this, it's invisible. I think it helps to just start with basic premises, right? So if we say out loud, all people are equal. Do you agree with that or disagree with that? The vast majority of people will say, well, I agree with that. Okay, so is it acceptable then to use language to diminish a person that you would never use with a different gender? You would never call a man, a colleague, a fucking bitch. Never. But it's accepted in our society, even in Congress, to call another professional colleague that if you're a man. Does that seem equal to you? If you're asking me that question, I would say no. Right. I feel like that's how we help people see the oxygen they breathe. Mm -hmm. Just start with the basic premise, you know, are all people equal? Then we should all expect respectful language in our workplaces. I have two daughters. I expect not just respectful language, respectful behavior from every person in their workplace. This whole Me Too movement, you know, I got involved in that because I expect my daughters to have a workplace free of sexual harassment, just getting to do their jobs. That should be what they're doing. And this is the same, only this is verbal harassment. 
You should not have to put up with that because you're a woman in a man dominated field. Well, and my hope is, is that again, like that sticks and stones phrase when Mm -hmm. I was a kid in elementary school, my hope is that this will now be this new standard of we don't use dehumanizing language. Well, and I think calling out dehumanizing language, helping Mm -hmm. people see what is dehumanizing and not accepting it. You know, our president all the time, (laughs) none of us as Americans should tolerate that coming out of his mouth. It should be unacceptable to every single one of us. You cannot speak of another human that way. Everybody Mm -hmm. is worth dignity, worth respecting no matter their circumstances, no matter what their situation. And having a president over and over again use dehumanizing language minimalizes the humanity of this whole group of people. It makes it the norm and it makes it okay. Yep. And that's part of the systems we're talking about because there is a system of privilege. And once you rise to this level, then you get to play by different rules. You're allowed to do certain things. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. she's a young congresswoman. He is about to retire out as a congressman with more experience. And then he is, you know, the male gender. Right. So mm-hmm. there are these systems in place. It's this rank and order of, oh, well, I am able to treat you this way because you are new and incoming and I am, you know, much more experienced and wiser. Well, he's also white and she's Latina. Yep. So there's that whole piece. She speaks a second language. I have no idea about him, but she values culture, the diversity of culture within her district and often speaks to that. And she's a woman. So yes, she has a lot of quote unquote identities that he would see as minimalizing, Mm -hmm. not valuable. And he treated her that way. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's the really important part. He treated her as something not valuable. And the minute you start not valuing people, you do harm the whole general society. You need to show respect and value for everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, let's take this back to the classroom. In a classroom, if a child speaks out and calls somebody a name and the teacher doesn't address it. Yes. What's the message in the classroom to the other students? Absolutely. Yes. That's why a lot of teachers are scared to address these things. This is a a worry for them. And the very best teachers are like AOC. They're very clear in their Mm -hmm. expectations. They hold everybody to account and Mm -hmm. they model what they expect. And You know, again, if you have a classroom that acknowledges we're all going to make mistakes, it's okay to make mistakes, then we need to repair the mistake. As a teacher, that's where the learning is. It's in the repairing. That's what you learn about yourself. That's what you learn about the other person. So, yes, I feel like as teachers, it's incumbent upon you, you know, to make communication in your classroom clear and to make it common and to make it safe so that everyone can say, you know, he hurt my feelings and he called me this name and we can all get to the bottom of, you know, why that name is harmful and what we can do to repair it. There's a really cool thing in the Montessori classrooms I work with where they have a peace rose. It's a little pretend rose and each child, so it's two people, the first child will hold the rose and explain what is bothering them. And then the other child holds the rose and explains their reaction or whatever. And then they keep going back and forth until they can find a peaceful space. It's so beautiful when you watch it happen because it doesn't take much time. Teachers are always worried about time. It doesn't take hardly any time, but everybody feels heard. We're going to work through this till we have peace between the two of you because our classroom cannot be a functioning classroom unless there's peace. So it's just very, very powerful. And it puts it in the hands of the children. No teacher is having to, I mean, of course, the teacher teaches the procedure, but the teacher isn't really involved. If you have this peace rose procedure in place, kids will say, I need to go use the peace rose. And the teacher will just be like, okay, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Well, it's Montessori, such a self-driven classroom. Made me think though about 
you know, this idea of privilege and to whom much is given, much is expected, right? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a very, it's a leadership concept. But when you think about privilege, it's not about much is expected. It's much is entitled to, and <laughs> I don't want to share with other people. <laughs> truth, truth right there. Yes. <laughs> so true. That, that's the definition of privilege right there. Yeah. Yes. And so the problem that we're facing is this idea of, I need to keep my privilege so I don't want to be a leader and to help people rise up and be an example of what's okay and what's not okay, right? Yeah. This comes back to that whole thing we were talking about before, the scarcity mindset mm -hmm. versus a mindset of abundance. And there between Ted Yoho and between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you saw the difference. She has an abundance mindset. He clearly Mm -hmm. has scarcity. And it goes back to the kids, the Montessori kids, right? Yeah. Like they don't live in this scarce world that we as adults live in. And it's like, oh, okay, let's work through this. Let's yeah. work it out. Yeah. So the more that we can understand as leaders and whether you have a title as a leader or you don't have a title, we all show up as leaders, right? As mm-hmm. a mom, we're leaders in our families, right? Mm-hmm. As community members, we're leaders. People will look to us or put us in a leadership position, even when we may not have a voted position right? like these two do. But when you do have a voted position, we've forgotten or lost our way, or maybe those who've had privilege have never expected to whom much is given, much is expected. And they haven't lived by that. And I think that's the thing that we need to go back to is the people who are leading, we need to go back to them and say, we expect you to lead as an example. Absolutely. And, you know, for the common good, not to be divisive, because we see a lot of division going on right now. Well, and the whole idea of a servant leader, right? We've really mm. abandoned the idea of a servant leader, you know, and that, that is to me what leadership is. It's service, mm-hmm. you know, to others, to the larger community. You're stepping up and saying, oh, I want this position because I think I can be of service. That's why I do value a diverse group of people representing all of us because each of these people have different skill sets that we can use, you know, having, you know, multiple different occupations represented in Congress, not just attorneys, but, you know, nurses or doctors or environmentalists or scientists or teachers, all of those diverse experiences, you know, deeply influence the way they would be as leaders in an elected position. So yes, We need all voices, all people. And yeah, if you get the job, you should be willing to be a servant leader. This is the other thing. I think we, as constituents, we should be demanding that. So it shouldn't be okay if your person is representing you and they're doing a bad job, you need to expect them to do better and ask them to rise to the occasion. They're not going to rise if they feel like they can get away with it. That's again on us to be you know, I do feel for the public, right? They're busy. They have a lot going on. And I always say, hey, I'm a really busy person. I'm doing this, this, and this prior to the pandemic, of course. You know, I'm doing this, this, and this. And even on my lunchtime, I'm finding time to call you because it matters to me. Like you guys need to do X, Y, or Z. Well, we need to be that engaged. It can't just be 1% of us who are that engaged. Every single one of us who has the bandwidth, right? There's different times in our life where we can't be. But if you have the bandwidth, you got to be engaged and you have to demand better of your representatives. And I think one of the things I want to put out there, because I loved how you said we all have different seasons of life, right? Right. The other aspect is get involved in the areas that you have the capacity. So if it's city governance, if it's state governance, if it's, you know, but get involved in school board. Right. Absolutely. The be a Girl Scout troop leader, anything. So yeah, get involved in the level that you have the capacity. Don't shit on yourself or guilt yourself. Cause I know with no. my audience, they're really good at doing that. So that's not what we're talking about here. No. But you know, the thing that you are passionate about, incorporate that into your life because we do need to have some accountability of, hey, here's what's going on and this is not okay. Well, and I just want to say to your audience that raising humans who are honest and hardworking and kind is the most amazing work you can do. That is the best work. That is actually changing the world. So if you're in the thick of doing that, congratulations, that's the most important work you're doing. And that's enough. 
<laughs> That's by far enough. You know, I, I had a son who was very ill with leukemia and it was a three-year thing. And we spent, you know, lots of time in the hospitals, lots of time doing treatments, all that. So for three years, obviously, I was 100% focused on that. And, nothing, you know, the world could have swirled out of control and I would never have noticed. And every time I take action, that's who I think of. I think of those families. They don't have the bandwidth to do this right now. Well, my son is healed. He's cured. He's living his life. He's doing great. It's, that's way far in the past now. And I do have the bandwidth. So I'm going to do it because I, I can. But if you can't right now, no problem. Don't worry about it. That's the whole beauty of working alongside people. But you don't have to do some world-changing thing. You know, you can write a postcard, one postcard a day. You can make one phone call a month, anything. You know, one tweet, <laughs> one email, one whatever. All of those, even just saying on your social media platforms, wow, I really value X, whatever it is you value. Because, you know, we get what we focus on. Mm -hmm. So finding things you value and sharing those, that's the work, right? Each part of it is work. And speaking truth to power, right? So talking about it, and sometimes it's about talking about it with your family. I mean, mm -hmm. so many families right now are so divisive. I was on the phone with a childhood friend, you know, in talking about just the political divide in his family of origin mm -hmm. and how to navigate that right now. And we both came to some really, because we were both struggling with this one family member of his and how to move through it, right? But being able to have that conversation with each other actually gave us both insight mm -hmm. and a commitment to, okay, we're not going to give up on these relationships. We're not going to be quiet, but we're going to continue to show up and engage, right? Yeah. And I think those are really beautiful opportunities where we can have conversation. So again, there's lots of different ways. Beth talked about postcards. I mean, we can sign petitions, you know, going out to vote. There's registering lots of, voters, <laughs> registering voters. <laughs> you did a lot of canvassing. Mm -hmm. So there's for the audience out here, there's a way for you to be engaged in speaking truth to power. It doesn't mean you have to stand on the floor of Congress and it can be saying to a family member. I mean, I did this recently with somebody where they were texting me something and I just said, I don't agree with that. <laughs> or I don't agree with you. And, and I just left it at that. I didn't need to change their mind. I didn't need to engage. I just spoke my truth of, I don't agree with that. Like I grew up with this idea of trailblazers of Gloria Steinem and, you know, all these people who were out there, you know, changing the world. And I was like, that's so cool. And I want to do that. And what I've known throughout my life is I've spoken my voice and used my words and barreled through stuff is there is also a cost. And I don't think that ever got addressed because I was thinking about this this morning. I grew up in this world thinking that we were truly equal. And then I went to college to UC Davis and I was 18 years old. And that was the first time I got whipped up beside the head with sexism. And it was one of the, one of the male swimmers told me that we should have separate sweatshirts, UC Davis men swimming versus UC Davis women swimming because the men were so much better than the women. And they didn't want to have a, you know, the same title of a team and be identified with us. So I guess what I want to do is also let the listeners know that there are going to be obstacles. And somebody tagged me today on Facebook and said, you know, about being a brave woman. And I go, yes. I don't remember what it said. It was something like brave women and you just wink something in the eye. And I posted back. And sometimes you go into your room and you cry before you mm. can rise back up. And that's been my truth of being able to speak truth to power. What about you, Beth? I think, you know, there is a price. I feel so, so, so grateful because I have a life partner who has always cherished how I speak truth to power and valued that in me and supported that. So I feel like if other people don't like it, <laughs> I don't really care. I mean, I, I lost that a long time ago. Because we all have, you know, what we need to say, and it's okay if you don't like it. It's okay if you're uncomfortable. It's okay if it bothers you. If you're not going to be my friend because I'm speaking out, then I guess we wouldn't be good friends. You know? mm -hmm. I don't want to have friends that I can't be real with. I think this is really crucial, you know. I mean, I, I'm certainly willing to be friendly with everybody, but if you're going to be my friend, 
I want you to be real with me. And I want you to be able to say, I don't agree with that, Beth, you know, and here's why. And I want to have these deep, authentic conversations and wrestle around with that. I love that. Again, I feel like we're in a season where you have to be fully participating. I recently watched an interview with Jane Elliott, the teacher who did the blue eye, brown eye experiment. And I don't remember if she was Iowa or Idaho, but one of the things she talked about is, you know, she doesn't know if she would have done that, knowing what the consequences would have been that she had to go through. Now, you know, however many years, right, decades later, she's very grateful to have done it. But there were severe ramifications. You know, her kids were isolated. Her parents had their own business and they lost that. There were a lot of hardships that, you know, she experienced because of that experiment where she was teaching about racism, right? Again, sometimes it's the short-term consequences, but when we can go back, like everything that I have stood for and when I've spoken truth to power, there may have been vulnerability in that time or the day after. But then when I look back, I'm really proud of using my voice. And But you bring up a really good point. I don't think yet in my life I've paid a very steep price, right? I haven't lost a job. Nobody said, I can't do business with you or whatever. I haven't lost anything of deep value to me by doing this. I think of Colin Kaepernick, right? He you know, took his stand and lost his career. And he paid a very, very steep price. And I think he was willing to do that that makes his statement even more valuable. Or you look at Colonel Vindman, who stood up, spoke his truth, and lost his career. But yeah, I have not really had the price to be paid. Well, but I want to circle back to something you say and kind of challenge it a bit, because you said, oh, well, they have had to endure greater losses, so that means their message is so much more valuable. They've made choices and they've had significant losses, but I don't know if there's messages that are more valuable. No, I I agree with that. I guess I'm just saying that we have to look to them and think that's a person willing to pay a very steep price. Like they really, really believe what they're doing. I feel like stepping yourself out, knowing the price you're going to pay, like Colonel Vindman knew, he knew he was going to pay a steep price and he still did it. I think about my 18, 20 year old self who was such an activist and who, you know, wanted to change the world. And I was really idealistic, right? And I didn't think about the consequences where now I can kind of see how there can be consequences. And so I need to personally have thought through it. And I watched my youngest daughter, who's 18, who's big social activist, you know, in charging the world. And it's fine because I think as we go through our seasons of life and the different stages, we create more awareness about things. So those are just things I want the audience to think about. When you do speak truth to power, there can be consequences. And that's where, again, I think what Beth and I are trying to say is you have to go inward and go, is this the season of my life? Can I handle the risk of the potential downside of this? Beth, I want to thank you for coming and talking about this with me. Oh, Corinne, I could talk to you all day, anytime. (laughs) This was a blast. This was a blast. So thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Treasure it. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So we do real here, real life. (laughs) Thank you. I know that Beth was really worried about her dog and we had stuff happen, but this is real life. So that was my conversation with Beth. And I hope you got some nuggets of insights so that you can apply it. There's not a one way fits all. You know, this idea of owning your voice and speaking truth to power has been such an important concept for me throughout my life. And there was a time that I lost my voice because of the cultural programming, the conditioning, the systems that I was a part of that didn't allow it in my adult life. And then learning how to bring that voice back and speaking my voice. And one of the things that, again, I talked about with her and I want to recircle back with you is there is a vulnerability to speak truth to power. I've talked about on the show about having courageous conversations. That's another way to say it. Maybe it's not a person that has power over you, but being able to have a courageous conversation, you know, it can be as simple as, Hey, if you want to go on a walk, I don't mind going on a walk, but I need to be socially distanced. And we both wear masks. That can be a courageous conversation for some people asking somebody else, do you wear a mask? And that's vulnerable. So 
it's really important that, yes, there's this great thing to do and we can applaud it and say, wow, you're a badass and you're so powerful. But we need to know what really goes on in the behind the scenes. And what I know with the leaders that I work with and the people that I stand with and in my own journey, there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability. And I'm not joking when I say, yes, I can be brave and courageous and I'll fight the good fight. And there are days that I go home and I'm in tears. And yes, I have people in my life that support me like Beth does. You know, I have friends and my family that support me and it can still be hard. And you can believe that you're not with anyone, that you're alone or that you're too much. And that is part of the process of speaking truth to power. And there is risk to it. It doesn't mean it's not worth it. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And here I use that word should. It's not that. I just want you to know that as you go through it, there is going to be this rumbling, even if when you speak truth to power, you get what you want on the other side, right? Or to be heard or whatever it may be, or you, you know, but there is that vulnerability on the other side of it. You're like, oh my gosh, I did that. And maybe it was too much. I can't tell you just this summer alone, how many times I've had to speak truth to power and be brave and stand up and feel so alone in these meetings. And then all of a sudden somebody sends me an email or a text and they're supporting me. And I'm like, but you didn't say anything in the meeting. And what I have to do is it's something that Beth spoke to was about checking in with your own integrity. So fortunately or unfortunately, two of my values, one is my first value and then the other one's my third value. So they're like my top five values. The first one is bravery. That's my number one value is I'm just, I'm courageous. My third value is integrity. And it's this choice of leading with my values versus choosing what's fun, fast, or easy. You know, again, my idea of a fun time is I get to talk with people. I get to do interviews. That's fun for me. That is my play. And so I have to choose integrity, which is choosing discomfort over comfort, choosing what may be hard over what is fun, fast, and easy. For me, fun, fast, and easy is turning on the television and just watching something and numbing out on that. That's fun, fast, and easy. There's nothing wrong with tuning on television, but that for me is fun, fast, and easy. Opening People Magazine is fun, fast, and easy. Again, nothing wrong with that. But when I see something that's a violation of my values, a violation of my own integrity, when I've had to check in and say, can I sit on the sidelines? Is it okay for me not to speak up? I have found more often than not that I would have to speak up. And sometimes it doesn't happen in that moment. And sometimes I've had to think about things for a week, for 24 hours. And I've given myself that space. And I guess that's something that's been great about being older, or I guess practicing this more is when I was younger, I'd be like, no, I missed my opportunity. It was very much a fixed mindset. I missed that opportunity. I didn't say that clever thing then. So it's over. And what I've realized and I've learned is I can circle back, whether it's about me initiating the conversation, sending an email, and even if it's a week later, like, hey, I've been really thinking about this. Or you know, sometimes you get those opportunities handed to you because somebody shows up into an email conversation or a conversation where you can then bring the topic back up for discussion. So there are opportunities. It doesn't have to be in that moment. One of the things that I learned a long time ago to give myself permission, I gave myself permission that I am not Google. And the reason I said that I used to get all these emails and I always felt this responsibility that I needed to respond right away. <laughs> Because people expected that. They sent me an email, they should get a response. And I had to give myself permission. I am not Google. Like right now I'm here with you. I'm not in my inbox. I will respond to that when it happens, when I have the time or when I schedule the time to go into my inbox. So the same thing with a conversation. Somebody may say something to me. I'm not going to have a response right away. I need time to think about it and give myself the grace and let it percolate in my brain and understand what it is that I think and feel about it before I go into stand up. And that's something that AOC did, right? This occurrence actually happened a few days before she actually spoke on the floor. And it was a few different occurrences of how she was spoken to. And then it was after Representative Yoho made excuses for his behavior and justified it in saying he's a father and a husband. And it wasn't till then that she spoke up. So 
if you're speaking truth to power, don't think you have to do it in that moment. You may need some time. You may need some time to think about it and circle back to address it. When you speak truth to power, be clear about what's okay and not okay because people may not understand. My 20-year-old self or definitely like my 15-year-old self wouldn't have understood dehumanizing language because remember, I had been culturally programmed. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That was the shield that I put up. And while there are sometimes those names may not hurt me, there are times those names did hurt me and what other people thought did hurt. So I've had to learn how to not allow that to hurt me, but also how to surround myself with people that won't treat me in those ways. And that's a practice. All right, my friend, speaking truth to power. There are great things to speaking truth to power and there's vulnerability and it takes courage. And one thing I will say is you don't need to have courage 24 seven. It's my number one value. And it's also really important to have downtime and rest time and play time that is just frivolous fun, right? And we kind of know what some of my frivolous fun is. I shared it. But to have that downtime, one of the things about like elite level athletes is they're not training 24 seven. They have their rest days. They have their recovery days. We need to make sure we incorporate that in our own journey of owning our voice and speaking out the truth. Okay. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.